Hello, and welcome to another episode of the R Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host. Today's episode is the beginning of a short series comparing the time frame of the Reformation to modern times and modern shifts. So we are in season four of this podcast right now, and what I've been doing for season four is going back over the whole history of this podcast in its entirety and taking large chunks and looking at all of these patterns, these evolutions, these movements from a more macro perspective, taking a step back and seeing how these things connect together. And that's what I'm doing in this short series as well. So season two of our foundation Foundations was an entire series, an entire season, sorry, about this parallel, this parallel between the Reformation and modern times. And the first half, roughly, of season two was interviews with other, I guess I'll say experts of some degree. There's a Catholic theologian, a Christian humanist. There was, I uh, can't even remember all of them, two people that have a, a history podcast on the medieval time period and the Reformation, and then a few other folks as well. And they were all extremely good. I've actually gone through and re-listened to most of them in order to figure out how in the world I'm going to sum all this up in an episode or a few episodes. And they're really good. I'd highly recommend it. If you're interested at all in the stuff I'm talking about, I think you would really, really enjoy that. The first few are more on the theology and the philosophy, education, that kind of stuff. And then the next few are more specifically on just the history of the time period and the historical parallels. And then the final one gets more into philosophy and some modern applications and things like that. So I would highly recommend that if that sounds like something of interest to you. There's a lot, a lot more content than what I'm going to cover in what I plan to be three episodes at least. So my plan is that this episode will be more about the overall structures of this time period of the, say, medieval time through the Reformation and how these macro macro shifts were occurring, what was going on in the societal structures, the political structure, the church, these types of things. And then next week's episode will likely focus on uh, things that are a little more immaterial, like economics and theology and education, these types of things, philosophy, and then the what I plan on, at least, being the final episode of this short series will be the third one, and that'll be looking more at the Reformation itself and the Thirty Years' War, and then paralleling that with the modern shifts that are happening and what the future uh, looks like it will likely hold, and then also tying back around to something I'll mention at the beginning of this episode, the fall of Rome, which is another historical pattern that fits that same mold. So for this current episode, I will just go ahead and start off by giving some overview and bringing us into uh, what this parallel is, why it matters, these types of things. But before I do, I would like to specifically give a shout out to Tom, who is the newest Patreon supporter on Patreon. He is a new patron supporting the show with a monthly pledge, and I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for doing so. I've had a few people have to drop out from their support over the past year or two, I would assume for probably economic reasons. I hadn't gotten any complaints on content or anything like that, but I know a lot of people are not as well off as they were pre-COVID, and so totally understand anybody that has to drop off. That's totally understandable, but thank you very much for new people stepping up. I really appreciate that. That hopefully will mean that I can continue to cover the costs associated with these podcasts specifically from your contributions. So thank you very much. Now, to get into this episode, I think it's good to start off from the perspective of why does this matter and where did I get this idea? So uh, really, it all stems from looking at historical patterns and parallels to better understand current events. And that's something that, in my opinion, history is all about. That's one of the most important roles of understanding history. So we have things that happen in history that 
don't necessarily repeat exactly, but uh, I guess the common phrase is they rhyme. So uh, that's something that we can see plays out over and over and over again, that you have these patterns that have these rhythms that play out very similarly. And uh, you could even look at the idea of cyclical time. There are those in various cultures and religions that believe that time is uh, circular, and with that, the, it doesn't just go in a straight line. It's not linear. So you don't have one event, then another event, then another event, then another. But instead, you make a big loop where in the end, you come back to where you started and then you continue on and come back to where you started over and over again. It's a circle. And so that's another view of time and history. More My view would be more of a corkscrew of sorts where you have this looping aspect, but you're also making this forward linear progress. So every time you loop back around, you're further back than you were in uh, the recent past, but you're still further ahead than you were in the distant past. And so you take, say, 10 steps forward and two steps back, uh, that kind of idea, but in like a loop-de-loop pattern, if you think of a roller coaster, that kind of thing. And so uh, these loops have very similar patterns. But again, they're not the same loop. And that would be the way that I look at it, at least. So that would then bring us to the question of why the Reformation? Well, there are many different time periods where we've had uh, big shifts that could be equivalent to things we're going through today, like the, uh, the technological revolution of the internet and the digital age. You could say the Industrial Revolution could be a candidate for that, or many other factors. Or you could look at the American empire that seems to be uh, on the tail end of its rulership and look at maybe the fall of Rome or the rise and the fall of Rome as a good parallel to that. Or maybe you see issues with the monetary system, the economic system, and you could maybe go back to pre-World Wars, maybe the early 1900s, and make some comparisons there. They are definitely there. They exist. You could look at all kinds of things to see different aspects of what, what is going on today. However, with the Reformation... This is something where it's not just tech, it's not just the government, it's not just religious movements, spiritual movements, ideological movements, it's not just changes in the education system and philosophy, it's, it's not one of these things, it's all of them at the same time. And all of them at the same time were going on at the time period of the Reformation, and they're going on today. So that's why I would argue that we are living through a period of great change. It's not that this there's this one big thing that's changing. It's that all these things are lining up at the same time, roughly. And that's a pretty big deal. And so since everything's changing at the same time, like the Reformation, then it is an especially important parallel, I think it is the number one most closely resembling parallel we can find in history to what is going on today. And if anybody has a better candidate, please speak and let me know. I would love to look into it. But so far as I can find, it is the best one that we have. And so when you look at the time period of the Reformation, there was technological change on a massive level with the movable type printing press. That was a really big deal for many different reasons. It enabled a lot of these aspects of the Reformation. You had some huge shifts with the overall overarching institution of the day, the church. You had the rise of a whole new class of people, a whole new industry, uh, the merchant bankers, and that would be uh, analogous to things going on today. You had Christendom as an idea that spread and grew, and it was this idea of uh, spreading this ideology across the world to others that do not have it, but should have it, at least in their opinion. And so when we look at all this stuff, we can compare these things that were happening in the time period of the Reformation, and there's much more than what I just mentioned, but just uh, some examples there. We can compare that to the digital Reformation that is happening today, where 
We also see corruption at the highest level. Just like it was being pointed out in the church, it's being pointed out today in the state. You have this large bureaucracy that is built up in the state system, just like it had been in the church. You have new technology that's coming up with the internet and even getting into gene editing and things of this nature. Like I've said before on the show, it's not just computer chips. It's not that type of technology exclusively. It's also biological technology, which is different, but it is in the same realm, in the same sphere. You also have this left-right paradigm that exists today where you're either on the left or you're on the right, and only the very, very tiny minority of people are anywhere outside of that, and they're scattered around like crazy. And that's the same with either being Catholic or Protestant. You're one or the other, and you're pretty much nowhere else. That's just where you fit in because the whole world is Christian, just like the whole world today is political. And then you have war as being a way of uh, achieving many different things, consolidation, gaining land and territory, things like that. And today's wars are more based on economics. And we're coming out of this age of economics, and it's a lot of economic warfare that's been going on. And I'll get into all of these parallels in more detail. This is just a very brief overview. So then you also have the control of ideas being a really big deal with the church back then, as well as with the state and other institutions today. So there's all these different parallels that are going on, and it is worth looking at them and seeing what they can reveal about what's going on today. So uh, in part, what I am doing is convincing you and showing you that these parallels exist and pointing them out and identifying them. Then what I am also trying to do is to apply them to make a difference in our lives, to figure out what kind of action we can take, what kind of preparation uh, we might be wise to implement these types of things. And I'll especially get into that in the final episode of this short series. So another thing that you could look at would be the fall of Rome. And that's kind of where I begin uh, roughly this comparison time period. So uh, t- things change a lot more rapidly today with different technology in the modern age. And so what might have been a thousand years previously that it took to go through all of these different cycles, it could happen in decades in today's age because things move so much faster. But roughly the time period I look at is the fall of Rome. And then very briefly from then through the Middle East, Uh, through the Middle Ages, and then into the early modern period, into the Renaissance and the Reformation, and mainly around this time period of the Reformation, but also extending through the Thirty Years' War. So that's roughly the time period we're looking at. And today, for the modern example, I am looking at probably the early to mid-1900s to let's say 2030, 2050, roughly in that time period. And that would be the comparison. Now, when I mentioned the fall of Rome, that's a whole nother pattern that you could look at and do a lot of analysis on. And some people have where you see the rise and fall of empires. That's a pattern. There are things that happen with the rise of empires and uh, trends that do exist as they expand, as they conquer territory, depending on how they handle that, whether they're Uh, slash and burn tactics, or whether they integrate them into their society, whether they allow them to keep their traditions, or they mostly snuff them out. And then depending on the course of action for a certain empire, then that can determine uh, what patterns that they follow. And typically, they grow in size, they grow in land mass, they grow in resources, but then they also grow in bureaucracy, they overstretch themselves, they go further than they can really handle with their wars and with their spending and with their debt. And in doing so, they get overextended. And with the large bureaucracy, they start to get corrupted. And as these corruptions really start to take root within this giant bureaucracy that is swelled up for this empire that now expands so far they can barely control it, that's kind of the beginning of the end. And you see the fall of the empire that happens shortly after that. And so that's a pattern that you could see, and uh, surely you can see how that would be very applicable today. But I am not getting into that pattern, but I do want to start there, because when the fall of Rome happened, and also a lot of debates on when the fall of Rome happened, because uh, Eastern Rome did not fall, and so there's a lot that you could get into there. But as far as Western Rome is considered, 
the Roman Empire did fall. And when that happened, it was the state that fell. And so the state was the largest dominant institution in that time period in that area. And that would be the state of Rome, the the governmental institution of Rome. And that largely mostly fell. There were still remnants, but it mostly fell. And the institution that was left to pick up the pieces was the church. You already had the church as this institution that spanned the entire region. It was very influential at times. It was even mixed into the governmental system. And it was, it was basically there in this natural way where you had places like monasteries that already were these sources of uh, small-scale economic activity, these centers of learning, centers of literacy, all of these things. And when the state falls and people start moving out of the cities and into the countrysides, a lot of people died. And so you had population changes that were going on, lots of huge shifts happening. Some people did go to uh, these monasteries and these monasteries then became kind of the center of these new uh, towns and fiefdoms and areas. You also had who would have been considered like the nobility of the Roman culture and the Roman system that did take large chunks of land and continue to take that role of aristocracy and bring people under them and who would work for them. And it wasn't the slavery system like Rome had to a large extent. It was different. It was serfdom. There were a lot of similarities. There were a lot of these same people that were slaves in Rome and became serfs in the Middle Ages, but it was different. But the whole point that I really want to focus on here is that the church was the institution that was there. The church was the institution that became dominant. They did not necessarily control absolutely everything that went on in Western Europe, but they did have influence over the majority of what happened in Western Europe, from the lords to the kings to the aristocracy, the nobles, the guilds, all of these different institutions, groups, people, classes, the church had a huge influence on them all the way down to the peasants. And so uh, this was the institution that was largely dominant in Western Europe. And that would be analogous to the state being the institution that's largely dominant in modern times. Now, with this, you can see that the church played all these roles that the state plays now, and that Rome would have played the state played prior to the church. And these would be roles such as providing education, providing shelter for those that need it, a welfare system, some sort of security, a sense of belonging and being part of something bigger than yourself. These were roles that the church took on, and they uh, largely influenced, like I said, just about everyone. Now, as far as a societal structure was concerned throughout this period of roughly the Middle Ages, you had men who worked, men who fought, and men who prayed. So you basically had the peasants, you had the knights, the nobles, the kings, and then you had the church. And that's kind of how this worked out. And this was the class system of the time. These were very different classes. They were fairly distinct classes. Even in the legal code, they were dealt with differently legally. And it's similar to how our societal structure is set up today. You have the common working man, the employee of sorts. Then you have uh, the boss man. And then you have the political man. So it's not men who worked, men who fought, men who played. It's working man, boss man, political man. And uh, they really do line up. So you've got employees. And then you've got the management, the CEOs, the board, these types. Then you have the state and the check on power to the state is the constitution. It's the law of the land. Just like the check on power of the church is the Bible. It's scripture. It's the principles of, of scripture. And so you have this same system that's set up. It's just different institutions handling different roles. And there are differences because it's not the same, but there are parallels that are the same. And that is what we are focusing on here. So with the issue of the Reformation, what was happening is that there was a corruption in this hierarchy. You had the Bible, which was supposed to be the check on the church. However, the Bible was not 
playing this role as the check on the church. The church was not following the Bible and biblical principle, and so the church was abusing their power. The church became entwined with the nobility and with the merchant class. You had Medicis who were popes. You had lots of different examples like this, the Borgias and people of that nature. You had uh, a papacy that was bought and sold. You had hierarchical positions in the church, the bishops and other levels where you had people putting in family members, you had people buying and selling, you had you had the entire papacy move to France for a period of time so the French king could have more influence over the church. And so the church was not this uh, unquestioned overall power that couldn't be touched and that controlled all things. No, but it was the main overarching institution. And that's very similar to what's going on in today's world. The Constitution, and again, I'm focusing on the United States, but you can apply this to your own country if you're somewhere else, however you see fit. It should line up very similarly. But at least in the U.S., the Constitution should be the check on the state, but it is no longer a check on the state. The state abuses its power. The state has become entwined with the corporate world, with the boards of mega corporations, with the foundations that exist behind the scenes. And there are these major corruptions that people see. And uh, we see that this is not a good thing. You had the CEO of Monsanto then run the FDA, who governs Monsanto. You had the insurance company write the Obamacare legislation for major a major healthcare package. And it's supposed to be regulating the insurance companies, but the insurance companies were the ones that wrote it. You had the Federal Reserve System that was set up by bankers. And you have all these things where it's the state becoming entwined with this other class, with this class of the corporate world. And that's another parallel that I bring out a lot, that the nobility, this class, and that could be the knights, the lords, the kings, this whole noble class, uh, that is very equivalent to the corporate world today, whether that be the executive level or the boards of corporations or foundations or things of this nature, things that come out of the corporate world. That is uh, the analogy that I use for the nobility. Now, you had this issue where there was this corruption, there is this corruption, and people have to make a choice. This largely comes down to a local level, because in this period that we're talking about, the Middle Ages, you had much smaller worlds where you didn't necessarily have nation states in any way that we view them today. You had lords over these much smaller territories and fiefdoms. You did have royalty to an extent in different areas, but they they didn't rule a country, so to say, at least not in the way that we think of a nation state in today's world. And so uh, what it really came down to was, uh, what was the local lord going to do? And they had to make this choice. They could either stay with the church, which they knew was corrupt, but they also knew that they could use it for their own benefit to a degree, or they could break from the church and gain actually some power, some independence, not being under the church's thumb, but that also had a lot of risks. It was this battle of rights. You had lords versus kings versus the church, and who was going to have the right to do what? Who has the say-so and the authority? Who has the enforcement power? And this was a bit of an issue. You had these lords who, uh, under the system of feudalism, the lords basically signed a military treaty, in a sense, with the king. And so they would fight for the king. In exchange, the king would give them land. And then the lords would then take that land and divide that up to knights that served them in this military treaty of sorts, this military contract, where the knights would fight for that lord. In exchange, the lord would give them lands. And then you had peasants that would come and work the land. So they would turn this natural resource of land into some sort of profitable commodity or product. And they would keep a portion of this product and they would pass a large portion of it up the chain, up to the knight or to the lord or whatever. And some of that would make its way back to the king. And that's how this system was set up. But the problem was that as you had a larger bureaucracy build out and you, as you had these corruptions start to come into play, you end up with these situations where you have some lords that have multiple loyalties. So they might have some land from 
from, uh, let's say, King Fred, and then they have another piece of land from King Bob. And so he has this military contract with King Fred and King Bob. What happens when King Fred and King Bob then fight each other? Uh, Who is that lord going to side with? And uh, they have some mixed loyalties here. And you have this issue in a lot of ways where there are mixed loyalties for all of these people, for the king, for the noble, for the knight. And so it really highlights this issue of, well, they've got to make some choices. They have to make some decisions, especially as all these major changes start happening in society. And so You have the church that is the main institution of the time. And each, so each one of these classes use the church to their advantage, just like they used each other to their advantage. Again, the lords might pledge to multiple kings, so using them to their advantage. The kings would make sure they had more lords and as many as they could find so that they um, could have the military backing. And the more lords you have, likely the more knights that you have and the stronger army that you have. And so they would use them to their advantage. Both the lords and the kings would try to use the church to their advantage, where if you have the local bishop or the archbishop or even the pope on your side, then you can often have a lot more leeway with just about everything that you do. Sometimes you can have more military support, you can have more money, more wealth, more power, all of these kinds of things. What if you have a family member that gets a high up ranking in the church? Well, then you have an in there with the highest institution of the day, and that can be a major benefit as well. So all of these institutions are using each other in various ways, and it just becomes this calculation as things start to change, as they evolve and devolve of, well, what is each group going to do typically to have the best outcome for themselves? People are generally looking out for themselves, and so they're making this choice. Now, with local leaders today, in the U.S., you can look at the the individual states. So let's look at California or Texas or Florida, these individual states within the United States of America. And you also have the corporations that exist. You have uh, U.S. American corporations that exist as well. And so you have the states are kind of like the kings and the corporations are kind of like the nobles. And so uh, with both of these things, these examples of local leaders today, you see that they all use each other. The state uses the federal government, the the official state. So let's say, let's just use uh, Texas as an example. So Texas uses the U.S. and Texas uses the corporations. And the corporations use Texas to get tax breaks and get write-offs and all these things. And the corporations also use the feds to get federal money and federal tax breaks and these things. And so everybody's using each other. And they're all using the state, and the state is using them. And so they come to this issue where things are starting to evolve and devolve, and they have to make this choice. What are they going to do? Are they going to continue to try to milk this system for all it's worth before it finally crashes? Or are they going to get ahead of the ball here and step out where they can get more power, more influence, and be on the outside when things crash so that they can be more alike to this parallel of the church that was largely in that position as well. And so you see things like sanctuary cities where you have cities in America that uh, declared that illegal immigrants could stay there and would not be harassed or arrested or get into any legal trouble. You had marijuana that was illegal for the longest time, but there were some states, there were some cities that decided to make it legal in their specific territory, even though it was illegal with the U.S. government. And so this is a break. They're breaking. You look at uh, Texas and especially Florida nowadays with the COVID mandates and Florida has largely gone against a lot of the federal mandates and even made their own state laws that at times contradict the federal law and federal recommendations. And so we're already seeing this, that you have this breakup of sorts. You have the same thing with corporations where, uh, heck, you had Twitter that uh, completely censored Donald Trump and kicked him off of their platform. He was the president of the United States and a corporation outright 
kicked him off and silenced him, at least on that platform, which is a very large platform, very influential. And you have this happening over and over again with the states, with the corporations, with cities. And all of this is a sign of the breakup of the state, the evolution and devolution of the state and what these institutions, what these local leaders are going to do because they do have to make this choice. Now, if they stay uh, in this time period, just like in the time period with the nobility, if they were to stay uh, linked to the church, then they could increase their power and influence. You have the Medici as a very good example of that. I use them a lot to compare, especially to big tech. But uh, they could become entwined with the church, get the contracts for handling the church's wealth and banking needs. They had people, Medicis, that were popes. They had Medicis who got in other high positions within the church. So they could use this top institution, but you don't want to be connected to that institution when it falls, when it crashes and burned. And so you have to figure out how are you going to handle that. You also don't want the bad PR of being linked to a a system, an institution that is crashing and burning, that people see all this corruption involved with it. You don't want them to link you to that same issue. And so uh, that's another issue that you have to worry about. Now, if you leave, then you also have an increase of power and influence. You have more freedom. You have more liberty to do as you wish. But this is more on a local level. You don't have quite the reach that you have when you are linked uh, very closely to that main institution. But with this, it's not very good to do too early. If you break away too early, then you will get crushed because as long as that institution still is the overall institution with the power, they will enforce their power and their influence. And if you step up to them and you try to fight them, they will crush you. And that's what happens. Now, we don't see that going on all that much right now, which would be, I would argue, another sign of the devolution of the state. And that was a similar thing that went on in this historical time period as well, as there were princes that did go against the Pope. They did go against the church. And in previous time periods, that usually meant that they would get crushed. In this time period, coming up to the Reformation and post-Reformation, now that wasn't necessarily the case. Heck, the Thirty Years' War, I mean, that's what it was all about. You had the Protestants versus the Catholics, or at least that was the excuse, but uh, that was largely an issue. Kind of like, maybe you could argue slavery was an issue of the Civil War. States' rights was a big issue in the Civil War, but it wasn't the entirety of why the war happened, and uh, not every state was involved specifically for that reason. They all had different reasons, or many did. And so it's the same thing with 30 Years' War. But uh, as far as the the outward view, the first layer thinking is concerned, it was all about the Protestants versus the Catholics. And so we do have war that does happen at the end of this time period. The 30 Years' War happens. And this war, it was going on with the Reformation as well. And so this wasn't a physical war, this was an information war. But it started then. That's when the war really started to gain steam and got real. And then it became physical when you get into the Thirty Years' War. So you had both aspects here. You had this aspect that was more informational with influence and controlling the population through the control of information. That's why the printing press was such a big deal. It was a lot harder to control that information. But the church did try. They did ban uh, certain books. They banned certain writings. They put out their own. They tried to counteract a lot of this information that was coming out against them. They tried to censor things and these types of things. They tried to control the information and in doing so, control the population. You had the information networks and data collection networks that uh, really were the key power of this time period. And that was largely done by the merchant bankers. They were the ones that had these information networks. They were the ones that were collecting all of this data about all of these people and making all of these connections. And these networks were extremely valuable. And it was all about information. It was about getting information from place to place with increased, faster communication than anyone else. And with that came power. I've talked about the Rothschilds in this way as well, just like the Medici, just like big tech today. It's all about information. Now, 
when you have physical war, you need a just excuse. And I would put that in quotes, a just excuse. And this could be religion, as it was in that period. Uh, Today, you could say that that's freedom and democracy. We need to spread Western values and liberty to the world. And yes, it sounds all high and mighty. And uh, yes, some people truly believe that, but largely that's not really what it is. But that's their excuse, and you need that kind of excuse. I've done episodes on false flags. There was that episode I did a few weeks ago on false flags, oil, I don't remember what else it was, but uh, that was a big deal where uh, every modern war that the U.S. has been involved with uh, that I can think of they all started from a lie or a false flag or a provocation where they wanted to get something started because they need that excuse. They need it to be a just war to get the people on board because it's all about controlling the people. You control the information, you control the people. That's how it works. And that even applies when you get into physical war. That's still what's going on. So originally, the church was the one leading the physical wars, let's say the Crusades. Uh, That was something going on by the church. But by the time you get to this time period when the church is largely corrupted, and the Crusades are another example of that, but when we get into the time period of the Reformation, the physical war is now passed along to the next group, that would be the nobility. So just like the wars of today are handled by the state— they are starting to be handled more and more by the corporate world. And I guess I'll get into that here in just a second. But uh, with the church and the Crusades, you had Christendom that was uh, spread all around Western Europe. And uh, there's this idea of a Christian world, and we need to spread these Christian values. Yes, just like today, we need to spread uh, freedom and liberty and democracy. And that's what was going on. But again, when you get to the Thirty Years' War, it's the nobility that's fighting, and they say they're fighting on behalf of the Catholic Church or against the Catholic Church, but oftentimes you have Catholic princes that are fighting with Protestant princes under the auspices of uh, trying to follow Catholic doctrine, and that doesn't really make any sense. And you have uh, Catholics fighting against Catholics, but supposedly over these religious reasons. It's, It's just an excuse, just like it is today. And so, as we see this shift to the nobility, you have the parallel of the shift to the corporate world running wars. And in some way, you can see this to a degree when you read someone like Smedley Butler that talked about uh, getting, uh, basically, using the American military to prep different areas around the world for U.S. corporations. And that has happened over and over again. And you can see that a lot of this is ran by, let's say, the corporate world. But it's still uh, mostly the state that is actually handling the physical war. Well, uh, luckily, and uh, if I am correct, I am hoping at least, that a lot of warfare today in this age of economics, or coming even out of the age of economics, we're shifting from the physical to the immaterial. And we're shifting from a physical war to a more economic and technological war. It's all about control of markets. It's not about control of land. Just like the nobility, were that there were this group that ruled over certain fiefdoms of land and people, whereas corporations today rule over certain fiefdoms of markets and people. And that's what they do. And so we're hopefully seeing that as the Thirty Years' War of today's time takes place, that it will largely be this other generation of warfare. So there's some people say there's these different generations of warfare, first, second, third generation, fourth generation, and I don't even remember which one we're on right now. But the point is that earlier generations of warfare were all about physical force, whereas modern warfare is more immaterial. It's all about information. It's the digital age. And so with this, things are changing. Now, after I get done with this series uh, about the Reformation time period, I'll get into historical cycles and patterns and trends, and that is a really big deal that will come up. I also want to reference back a few episodes ago when I was talking about the war in the Ukraine with Russia. Uh, I covered that from a very physical, material perspective in the past few episodes when I did talk about that. However, that is not the only perspective to view it from. And I I guess I should give that caveat with everything I say and that I cover on this podcast. 
oftentimes I will cover things from a specific angle. That does not mean that that is my only viewpoint. That doesn't necessarily mean that it is my viewpoint at all. I try to express things from many perspectives, many angles, make certain arguments, and stick with them, not because I personally believe that they are right or wrong, but because I want these ideas to have their own merit, and I want you to figure it out, and I want to share these ideas on their own and give them at least the validity that they think they deserve, whether they do or not. So getting back to this idea of the physical versus the immaterial, we are shifting into an immaterial age. And again, I'll get into that in the next few episodes. But but yes, we will see that warfare will be taking place more on this economic level with actual corporations deciding to withdraw from certain countries to not offer services or platforms in certain countries to make certain rules and regulations that if a country, if a state doesn't follow XYZ, then that corporation is not going to do business there. They're not going to pay taxes there. They'll go uh, incorporate in a different country, in a different jurisdiction. And we already see signs of this. These things have already happened on a very small scale, but they will probably happen more and more and more. Now, with warfare in the time period of the Reformation, the Thirty Years' War, A lot of what was going on was consolidation of the noble class. So the nobles, again, they ruled over smaller geographical areas. These weren't nation states by any means. And so what was happening was that these nobles always coveted the land beside them, but they didn't necessarily have the resources and the ability to do anything about that, to really take over large swaths of land. Whereas Uh, uh, for many, many reasons and many shifts that were going on in this time period, all of a sudden there was this ability to take on that task. And now they had the excuse of religion to make it a just war that they can go out for. And that's exactly what happened. So these nobles were trying to consolidate their lands, take over their neighbors, take out their enemies, and side with other allies to take larger chunks of land and start to consolidate their holdings. This is something that was very successful, and it was something that really set up the beginnings of the idea of a nation-state. They took the decreasing power that was bleeding away from the church, and so as the church started to lose a lot of its dominance as an institution, as the church split up through the period of the Reformation, and you had different sects and different denominations that broke apart, the church was losing a lot of their power and influence. And again, the church didn't dissolve by any means. It was still very powerful. However, it did bleed some power and influence that was largely picked up by the noble class. And this would be, in my opinion, the beginnings of the nation state. Now, there was another way that the nobles consolidated, and that was through marriage. So it wasn't just taking physical land, it was also marrying other nobles in order to join dynasties together, so to say, or to join lands together to create a dynasty. And that was another very good way of doing so, because you didn't have the expense of war and you uh, were able to still accomplish the same thing. The issue is that you then shared that this was a new thing. It wasn't just just your family and just you as the king. Now you're sharing that with the queen and her family and her lands and her bureaucracy that was already built up, these kinds of things, or the bureaucracy of her family. And so uh, you had a mix of war and, and marriage, and they both had their roles. They had their pros and their cons. Now, when you look at the corporate world today, you have a similar thing. You have economic warfare, you have competition, direct competition, uh, you have corporate espionage, you have uh, the influence of corporations behind war, whether it be big tech or the military industrial complex or whatever it may be. And so you have that going on on the physical warfare side, so to say, and the economic warfare side. But you also have these marriages happening with mergers and acquisitions where corporations are consolidating, especially mega corporations. They're eating up their competitors and growing their market share. They're growing their land base. And again, it's not physical land. It's market share. It's uh, it's economic. It's not material. And this is another thing that's happening at rapid pace over the past probably decade or two. And this is something that is consolidating these corporations. And they're setting up the most dominant 
corporations as being kind of like a dynasty, just like the marriages and the wars with the nobility set up these dominant houses and these dynasties that would last for hundreds of years, if not longer. Well, the same thing is happening with corporations in the corporate world, where they are setting up these dominant positions where you might have one or two companies or a handful of companies that uh, handle 90% of the market in a certain sector. And that is not an uncommon thing in today's world. A lot of consolidation. You look at the media world, you look at the military industrial complex, you look at big pharma, big agriculture, all of these things. Uh, These are uh, the areas that are consolidating in today's world. And with this, you have alliances that are happening as well. There's alliances within these sectors. So let's say within big tech, you have Facebook, you have Google, you have or Alphabet, you also have Twitter, I guess Facebook, well, I guess you got to say meta now and alphabet instead of Facebook and Google. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a little annoying, but uh, they're changing their names as they consolidate for their expansion. So it sounds a little strange, but they're consolidating their markets and consolidating their holdings or they're spreading out and then they're solidifying that. And in doing so, they're making sure that they are uh, portraying an image that is broad enough that they can spread out and gobble up more and then consolidate that. Gobble gobble up more. Consolidate that. That's what they're doing. And so with this, you've got, let's say, uh, I'll just use the old names, Facebook and Google and Twitter, that in a way, they're all competitors. They, They do compete for eyeballs of the average person. However, at the same time, they're not necessarily direct competitors because uh, Twitter is fundamentally a different platform than YouTube, and YouTube is fundamentally a different platform than Facebook. They all have their niches, and they have their areas, and in a sense, they have this alliance of big tech where if someone gets censored off of Twitter, it's typically only a few hours before they're also censored on YouTube and also censored on Facebook, and it kind of sweeps across all of these social media platforms at the same time, because while they are competitors to an extent, they are also allies to a large extent. And that would be the same with the nobility and the noble class where you had these different nobles that would ally together. And although they were both nobles, and they both wanted more land, they would ally together and gobble up all their enemies and keep this alliance that made them both stronger. And that's a lot of what is going on today as well. Now, with the nobility in this historical time period, the nobles used religion as their excuse for war. And corporations now use politics as their excuse for war. Either way, the reality is it's a power grab. Now, I will say that politics of today is the theology of this historical time period. So back then, everything was filtered through the lens of theology. Everything was about religion. Uh, Generally, everyone in East Eastern Europe, or sorry, Western Europe was Christian. This was Christendom, and it was the land of Christians. And so that's just the way it was. Just like in today's world, everything is run by the state. Everything is political. All the hot button issues of society today, they're all political issues. And uh, that's how things are filtered. Everything's filtered through politics in today's world. And that's what the corporations are using. They're using these political excuses in order to Uh, uh, censor people in order to control people in order to manipulate them into buying something or giving them data or whatever it is they need. And it is largely about information and data. You control the information, you control the people. I will go back to that because that is the most important thing. At one point in time, the resources were natural resources. That was the most important. And then you could argue maybe gold was the most important resource. And then maybe oil was the most important resource. Well, now it's data. It's information. That is the most important resource. And that is... Uh, that's the mission today for the corporations, for the state, just like it was a large factor uh, when it came to the time period of the Reformation. 
Now, I would argue in that time period, the physical side, the material side, was more important than the information side. At least that's that got more of the effort and the resources devoted to it was fighting the physical wars rather than the information wars, even though they both were very large factors. Whereas today, I, I still think that they both will be large factors, but the information side will probably receive more resources and more funding and more attention than the physical side of our modern 30 years war, whatever that ends up looking like. Now, I I think I'm just going to end here because I'm starting to get into some other aspects of economics and theology and technology and these kinds of things. And that's what I want to talk about in the next episode. So I will stop here. I'll get back to these things then. If again, if you want any more information on all of this, go back to the beginning of season two. I will give the caveat that the first interview, the first episode, I think episode of season two, probably 2.1, 2.0, something like that. That one was an interview that I did with Pete Quinones. So if you're familiar with the Freeman Beyond the Wall podcast or what's now the Pete Quinones show, then you're familiar with him. The caveat that I'll give is that if you're interested in this parallel of the Reformation and these types of things, uh, I give you permission to skip that interview and just go to the next interview. I think it's with the Christian humanist guy, if I remember right, uh, because the Piquinona's interview ended up being a lot about kind of libertarian philosophy and propaganda and things like that. And if you are especially a longtime listener of my show or his, you've probably already heard a lot of that. So if you're specifically just looking at this stuff, then you can just start with that next interview with the second interview. But um, if, if you're interested, then I definitely encourage you to also listen to uh, Pete's episode as well. But then getting into those next ones, I think you'll really enjoy that. There's a lot of good stuff. I personally really enjoyed going back through that. It's been, I guess, two years or so since I actually did those interviews. And I felt like I was learning things as I was listening, even though I'd already gone through this uh, multiple times. And so I would definitely recommend that to you guys. Also, if anybody is interested in supporting the show and you want to be a member on the, uh, you could either do it through Patreon or Subscribestar, or I've got cryptocurrency addresses listed in the show notes. You're welcome to send there. You just won't get any perks unless you tell me that you sent crypto to me and then i will make sure that you get those perks Uh, the perks are uh, not extreme or extravagant in any way but you do get to make some requests if you uh, pledge at a certain level you get free merchandise of some kind and there's other perks there that you can look at i'm releasing a book that i'm writing a piece at a time section at a time to subscribers only so a lot of interesting stuff there if that's something you're into please seek that other than that lots of information is in the show notes please do leave a rating or a review if you have not done so already. Keep an eye out for the next episode as we continue to look at our digital reformation that we're going through nowadays and comparing that to this historical pattern and get into some different areas that I think will be very interesting to you guys. So until next time, I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.